as the song said in its own way, the value of something is set by the market. Right? All you capitalists out there, the value of something is set by the market. Correct? Nod your head if you agree with that. Eh, okay. 30% of you or so. I told you about a month, maybe six weeks ago, that the Savior of the world was going on sale on the 15th of November. Does anybody remember that? Salvador Mundi. That's the name of the, the painting. It's the, the lost painting of Leonardo da Vinci. Sold this week. 450.3 million dollars. I was going to leave the point or I was going to leave the point 3 off, but when you're talking millions, point 3 matters. 450.3 million dollars. And that was a bargain. It was 10% under the estimated value. Somebody got a, caught a sale in the market. And they bought Jesus for $450.3 million. Crazy, right? $450 million. And yet heaven says... Now remember, the value of something is set by the market, Right? To you and me, that's just an old greasy painting on a piece of wood. But the Bible says that your value was set by the market. Your value was not set by you. You and I get up, we look in the mirror and we're like, oh man, not a lot there. If you're getting to be my age, it's less and less all the time. Sounds like a, a painting from one of the masters gets more expensive as time goes by. You and I, not as much. You're worth less than 30 bucks if we melted you down and sold all your parts, by the way. That's the estimated value of the products that built you. Take out all the various things that are in there, separate them out into component parts, and sell them off. 25, 30 bucks. You make good fertilizer. Plant you under a tree, that tree's going to like it for a long time. But according to heaven, your value is set by the market not by your parts not by even your estimation but by the son of God's value God looked at the earth he saw all of us in it and he said I would rather die than have this place miss one of them. So the market value of the person on your row next to you or beyond you or in front of you or behind you 
The market value is God's only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know what raised your value? Did you see it in the text? For God so loved. I talked about this, oh man, last summer and, uh, and one of the families in the church got me a pillow that says so loved on it. Awesome. For God so loved. 25 bucks worth of mud and water that it's worth all of the price of heaven. So loved. You know, uh, people have stuff that they won't sell you. Anybody here watch that, uh, that antiques road show? And you see them value stuff that's in there, right? And they'll say, yeah, this was a painting left to our family by our great uncle. You know, we never really, it kind of sits in a corner in the, in the house. We actually hide it behind the sofa because, you know, whatever. And the guy looks at it and he says, oh my goodness, this is blah, 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 blah. It's worth like $40 million. And at the end of that, I'm thinking, sell it. <laughs> Quick. And so many of these people say the same thing after finding out how much this is valued. Well, we're going to keep it in the family because it's, a, it's an heirloom to our family. It's like it was behind the sofa yesterday. <laughs> they suddenly started loving it a whole lot more. What makes that amazing is that it's the, it's the, the passion God has about you and I that caused him to empty heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Get you on another, another one of those, uh, those television shows. We'll see how much you watch TV. You ever watch the, uh, the, the show where the, the, the two guys cruise around the country? buying junk out of people's yards and, and garages and places. They go in places that I would just throw a match in. You know what I mean? They're just, they're going, these guys are, these guys are buying junk as far as I'm concerned. They, they pick up a little car. They will search an entire garage and pick up a car. And they're like, oh, well, what would you pay? What would you, what would you cost? What would it have to cost me for this? And they go like, oh, that's a, that's a hundred dollar car. Well, it's only worth 75 to me. And then they dicker back and forth. Well, it's worth 85 to me. Well, I'll give you 80 for it. We'll kind of split the difference. It's a junky little car. The value of something is set by the market. The market is not always rational. Sometimes the market is just about love. Salvador Mundi is some, some paint smeared on a piece of wood. But because of the way people feel about the one who painted it, they're willing to pay $450.3 million. And because God feels passionately for you and I, He was willing to die to keep us from missing the opportunity of heaven. Crazy. Crazy. Haggai, a book we don't quote a lot you're looking for it in your Bible, you start at Matthew and go backwards, you'll find it faster. This is what the Lord of hosts says. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. 
We've been talking about, for the last three weeks, I've worn a, I've worn a coat and a tie for three weeks in a row. I know. Anybody notice? Yeah. yeah. We have been talking about a, a simple set of facts about choosing the wrong thing. We've talked about the same thing. We've mentioned it three different times now, that when you choose the wrong thing, when you choose to follow after sin, it will take you, take you deeper than you want to go. Right? It'll take you deeper into the bowels of trouble than you want to go. It will keep you there longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. When Jesus took sin for you and I, it took him deeper than anyone wanted to go. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane saying it's too deep. It will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. How long, Jesus asked the disciples, will I have to be with this faithless generation? And it will cost you more than you want to pay. And maybe that's the one place that's not true of Jesus because he knew the cost and was willing to pay it when he came. But hanging on the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, I didn't expect this cost. Even you? have to let me go because of this. I, was, I, was, I stumbled across a picture of this that I think is maybe more easily grasped in the modern hand, in the modern American hand anyway. I had to go to the DMV this week. <laughs> Apply those three things. If you have to engage the Department of Motor Vehicles It will dig you in deeper than you want to go. It will keep you there longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. Yeah? Yeah, and half the time they'll send you home to get some more stuff to bring back to do it again. See, that's the kind of thing we're talking about here. We're talking about getting sucked down into something that holds us down longer than we want to be there. And it costs us more than we thought to get out. Today I want to talk about the blessings of God to people He loves the situations of life and the mess that we are. The blessings of God to the people He loves even though the mess we are and the place we find ourselves. God's blessings are unique expressions of His grace. Last week we talked about sanctification. Being sanctified meaning to be set apart. Set apart for a purpose, set apart for a holy purpose, set apart for a mission, set apart for something only you fit. That you are that unique puzzle piece that when you're missing from the ministry of God, that there's a gap in that ministry. When you actually, with your gift set, is missing from the puzzle, there's a piece missing in the puzzle. You are a specific, unique piece. And those graces and blessings of God are uniquely given in each, each family and in each life. Our experience, our gift set, our talents, they're unique to each and every one, as unique as a fingerprint. God's blessings are unique expressions of His grace 
And therefore, you are the expression of God. Just let that sit there for a second. Percolate that a little. You are a unique expression of God. So we've talked about the process, that you get yourself caught into the the sin that you want to avoid and it takes you deep. And God's trying to teach you and help you stay out of the mess that he knows you're going to find yourself in. We talked about the fact that it's this sanctifying process. We often use sanctification just to mean cleaning up, but it's not what it says. That's not what it really means. We saw it illustrated when, when God set aside, sanctified the Sabbath back in Genesis. Set it aside for a holy purpose. And that it, with his people, with you and I, he's setting aside, sanctifying for a holy purpose. And that there's a process of transformation, sure, but there is a more important reason for the process of transformation it's so that the image gets wiped up cleaned off and Jesus can be seen in you because while the mud is still on your face it's hard to see Jesus as easily while the mess is clouding things it's harder to see Jesus easily so I want to talk about process today We're going to be in John 15 for a while. If you want to turn your Bibles to John 15, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. It's the fourth of the Gospels. You're going to find it, oh, probably almost three-fourths of the way through your Bible when you come to the book of John. If if it's first, second, or third John, it's the wrong book, back up. You'll find it Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you're in Acts, back up. You're right there. John chapter 15, a very important passage in the Bible. This is a place where Jesus is speaking to his disciples before he goes to the cross. It elevates the value of these words to know their last. Isn't that interesting? It elevates the value of these words to know their last. What elevated the value of that picture, that that oil smeared on some wood? Well, partly it's the last. It's a, a, a lost treasure. These are some of the last words of Jesus that elevates the value in my mind because he's speaking to his disciples for one of the last times before the crucifixion. And in that process, he gives this illustration. He said, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. So the first thing he does is start to introduce us to the lineup in the story. Any good story starts with an introduction to the people. If you watch a movie, you'll notice at the beginning of a movie, they start to give giving you little snippets of people. You start to get a picture of this guy and his personality and that lady and her personality and it travels around through the primary characters of a film. You watch the next time you watch a movie. The first 15 or 20 minutes, they'll just be introducing you to characters and you'll get this one and then that one and this one and then that one. That's what Jesus is doing as he starts this story. He's introducing us to the characters. He's introducing us to what's going on. I am the vine. Who's the vine? Jesus is. My father is the gardener. What's the father doing? gardening and you are the branches i am the vine my father is the gardener you are the branches okay we got the picture we know who we know what our part is are you the vine no are you the gardener okay keep these things in mind because you're not in charge of your holiness that if the, the, the vine is in charge of your holiness hold on to that if you didn't get it i'll repeat it the vine is in charge of your holiness you're not the vine the vine is in charge of your holiness. You're not the vine. The vine is in charge of your holiness. You're not the vine. You're not the gardener. You're not the gardener. You're not the gardener. Not your job to prune. 
Not your job to prune. Not your job to prune. Even yourself. It's really weird for somebody to do surgery on themselves. What's your job? Be the branch. Be the best branch you can be. Do you. Right? Do you. To the glory of God. Be the best branch you can be. So I'm talking process today. Here's the, here's the description of the process and the partners in the process. Jesus is the vine. The Father is the gardener. You and I are the branches. Clear? I brought a posy. Actually, my wife bought it. I brought it. I asked her to because I forgot it. The plan. He, the Father, prunes off the unfruitful. And you see this, Posey? What's this flower's job? Make flowers. What's happening over here? Nada. It's making leaves. Oh, I got a flower. I'm not the gardener. Why are only the girls saying, ah? See that one right there? That one's dead. Thanks, Mike. These guys are hanging over the side. I don't really like them hanging over the side. Stop, stop. You guys, stay in your plant. That's why you're supposed to be in the can. You know, this is not going to make any sense. You thought I was going to cut off the flower. This is not going to make any sense on the tape. I just cut up a flower, just in case you were guessing. Better? Can you see the posies better? What's this plant's job? Posies. If you can't see the posies, flower's not doing its job. Do you get the picture? The father cuts off the unfruitful branches. Here's the deal, guys. He cuts off the unfruitful branches. Those that are not producing any fruit get cut completely off. And he trims the fruitful branches. Why? So that they can bear better fruit. So that they can bear more fruit. Now, this is a, this is a rose. And those of you, you know, Liz, I'm sorry. I don't want these posy pieces on my podium. <laughs> he prunes off the unfruitful and he trims the fruitful so that they can be more fruitful. Are you familiar with, with wine at all? When he's talking about vines, he's talking about grapes. He's talking about grape plants. Are you familiar with grape plants at all? Do you realize that the fruit of a grape only grows on the new growth? 
right? The fruit of a grape only grows on the new growth. So every year they take that long, fruitful branch and they prune it back to its last bud. And the new grapes will come on that new fruit. They knew this. Jesus was illustrating this. The disciples were describing this. The disciples were saying, oh, we get it. You even trim the branches that are fruitful so that they will be more fruitful in the future. Expect then, if you are a branch, there will be some pruning. This works in your spiritual life when God comes along to you and he says, Hey, guess what, Walt? This area of your life over here that you've just been cruising along thinking that's great and that's the place you're going to grow, that's the future of the fruit in your life, not In fact, we want you to go this other way. And he trains the branch in a direction that will be the most fruitful for the kingdom. Some people end up going in completely different directions than they intended. They'll go along in their life. They'll study. They'll they'll pick a career. They'll go off in this direction. And after they've been doing this for a long time, God will say, hey, guess what? Um, We're going that way. And the question at that point is, are you willing to come under the knife for the sake of the fruit? Are you willing to let your spiritual life, let your life be trimmed for the sake of the proof? I had a, I had a professor who was awesome when I was in school. Just phenomenal guy. What was most impressive about him was his mind, just memory. He could remember everything. This, this guy could tell you books he had read 20 years ago. He could give you chapter and verse on articles he had read. He was amazing. He, his, his daughter said he didn't really have a photographic memory, which is what I thought. He just loved these things so much he remembered them like his children. Sometimes I bet he remembered them better than his children. You know how it is. Johnny, uh, uh, Susie, uh, you! (laughs) But you can tell me the, the, the page that some weird esoteric quotes on. This professor had studied to be a doctor. He was excited to be a missionary doctor and he went off to South America as a missionary doctor. And he was there. He had studied. I mean, think about how long it becomes to, to it costs, how long it takes to become an MD and what it costs. That's where he thought his life was going. And he was smart. He was good. He got through. He, he was a good doctor. He was there. He was doing his thing in the, in the mission field. And as he's working along on this, he realized he liked preaching to the church better than doing the doctor thing. So after all of that training after all that practice, after actually being in the place where he thought God was sending him, he realized that what God wanted him to do was grow in a different direction. So I went back to school and he got a PhD. He actually got a THD, a PhD. So he had an MD, a PhD, and a THD. He had three Ds. Still passed, though. You'll catch that later. Phenomenal teacher. Tremendous gift to generations of pastors who listen to him. Influence of that man is still going forward in the kingdom and will for a couple more generations. But God had to send him in a direction he hadn't expected to go. God is good to us. He calls us to that generation. He builds a yearning in us and then he sends us off. There will be pruning even in the fruitful life. God will say, you know what? These leaves are pretty, but they're really not that helpful to what we're trying to do because they're really distracting from our main purpose. Our main purpose is for people to see that flower bring glory to God. Are you following so far?
Is it, is it too easy for you? You're, you're already clean. Speaking to the disciples, would you have said these disciples were already clean? Would you have said that would you guys over here? Would you have said that the disciples were already clean? We know these guys, right? This is pre, pre-crucifixion and resurrection. What's Peter about to do? Deny Jesus three times, right? Are these guys clean? Jesus said, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. What made them clean? The words of God. The words that God had spoken to them. Look at, that, look at it in the New, New Living Translation, NLT. You have already been pruned and purified by the messages I have given you. It's already working in your life. Things are already changing for you. I've already been working on you. Do you think the disciples got pruned? Do you think the disciples had some changes of direction in their life for following Jesus for three years? You bet your booty they did. They actually... Can I say that in church? Sometimes I wish I could rewrite the tape in my own mouth. You can bet they did. Lots of things got changed in their lives. Maybe their vocabulary over the time spent following Jesus. Things changed for them. He altered where they were going. You have already been, pure, been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. You are clean. The disciples and you and I. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me. What, happens, what does a branch have to do in order to, to keep being fruitful? Remain in me. As long as you remain in me and I, and I in them, you, and I in them will produce much fruit. Gotcha. Sometimes you put uh, King James in here and you read something else and something else comes out of your mouth that wasn't either. So let's try that again. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If I cut this piece off with the flower on it, what's going to happen to the flower? What's, go, what's going to happen to this flower? That won't even work for that. It's just going to die. Joining its friends. Here's the point. If your life gets separated from Jesus, what happens to you? You begin to wither. You begin to die. What are you supposed to maintain? What is the role of the branch? Maintain the connection with the vine. Maintain the connection with the vine. Submit to the gardener and remain connected to the vine. Study. Pray. Be in fellowship with people who support the transformation that God is trying to work out in your life. Connected to the vine. That's what we do. What are the branches to do? Stay connected to the vine. How do we avoid getting sucked into sin like the DMV? Just just remain connected to the vine. He will keep you away from that. His Holy Spirit will speak to you. He will convict you in the things He wants to do differently in your life. Stay connected to the vine and He will take you where He needs you to go. And he'll keep shining, he'll keep polishing till you are a beautiful, glorifying representation of not yourself, but him. Did you notice that this flower doesn't look anything like that plant? 
There's a whole bunch of plant. But the glory is in the flower. There's a whole bunch of branches. But the outward face is the fruit. The outward face of Jesus, the outward glorifying face of the church is in the fruit. Not the leaves. This is to my Father's glory. Don't read the rest of the passage. Just read the first phrase. All that I've been telling you so far, the vine, the branches, the trimming, this is to my Father's glory. You being the best you that Jesus can make you is to the glory of the Father. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. People come to you and you say, they say, you are the best salesman I have ever met. You say, glory to God. People come to you and you say, you have the nicest kids I have ever seen in the world. After you snicker a little, then say, glory to God. When people come to you and they say, man, I don't know what it is about you, but, but something's different about you, you say, glory to God. You just keep pointing people in his direction. That's the job. That's our job. Just keep pointing people in his direction. No matter what you find yourself doing, stay connected to the vine and point people to God. Bring glory to God. That's the role of the believer on the planet. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, therefore showing yourself to be my disciples. There's fruit popping out all over you. You know what the fruit does? It demonstrates your connection with God and the fact that you are Jesus' disciples. To the glory of God. Somebody comes in and, and they sit in your place of business. They, you're, a, you're, a, you're a doctor. You're a computer programmer. You're, you're whatever. And they sit there across from you and they go, man, I, it's awesome to be a part of this. You're really doing me a favor. You're really blessing me. And you say, that's awesome. God is good to me. He's given me the skill to help you out today. Praise God. Crazy, isn't it? Sound hard? That's our job. That's our job. Keep pointing people. Keep pointing people. Keep pointing people to God. You know why God is trying to keep us out of the sin cycle? For our protection and for his glory. Simple enough. He's trying to keep us from getting into trouble. Why, why is he giving all these warnings in the scripture? Don't do this. It's a bad idea. Don't do that. It's a bad idea. Hey, here's some commands to follow. Look at this. It's a bad idea to go there. It's a bad idea to go here. And why does God keep telling us obedience is better than not? He's trying to keep us out of the spiraling mess and maintain the image of the church to his glory. Get it? Okay. Here's Haggai. That, that place where we were reading. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. He's going to repeat that in verse 7. That's what we started on. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Anybody feeling like they earn wages and they just keep putting it in a purse that's got holes in it? You know what he says next? He says, consider your ways. Ask yourself, is there some problem in my life where I'm disoriented from the will of God? You see, you can resist the pruning at any time. 
You can resist the trimming of God. You can resist the convictions of God. We do it all the time. But what you find down the road when you resist those convictions and you resist that pruning is less fruitfulness. You find that you've planted all these seeds and not much came up. You find that you make all these wages, you keep putting them in a basket and they just don't seem to stay in there very well. Your your wallet seems to have a hole in it and things go out as quickly as they get in. God wants to pour out a blessing on you. He said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Here's how that abundance takes place. Here's what happens. Don't put your things in a pocket with holes in it. In fact, let me help you hold them and I will bless you. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. What is God's motivation for trimming? He loves you. He wants you to be fruitful. Because he knows the best, most amazing life you and I can have is a fruitful life that glorifies God. You want to talk about purpose and meaning in life? Live that one. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in His love. How do you stay in this connected relationship? Listen. Any of you that have raised kids ever use the phrase to your child, would you just listen to me? Would you just listen? What do you mean? I would like to keep you out of trouble with me, with the authorities, and maybe with God. Would you just listen to me? Do you do that because you're just wanting to be mean to your kid? Or do you do that because you love your kid? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, look, guys, you want to keep this thing working? Listen to me. Just listen to me. Just listen to me. I'm trying to tell you how to do this. I'm trying to keep you out of trouble. I'm trying to give you a blessing. I'm trying to give you the most abundant life possible. Would you just listen to me? Just just hang on and listen to me. These things I have spoken to you, that... This is the end of the passage. These things I have spoken to you, that... My joy may remain in you, and that... Your joy may be full. My joy may be full? I'm going to have a good time seeing you succeed... But I want your life to be joyful and blessed and abundant. I want your life to not only be a representation of the glory of God, I want your life to be so spectacular to you that you wake up every morning saying, I am in for whatever's going on today, God. Let's go. (laughs) Anybody doing that? I'm moving on. When I said that, there were like four people who said, Amen. (laughs) I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. I have come so your life will be better. I have come so that your life will be more joyful. I have come so you can stay connected with me and be fruitful in your life. I have come to give you meaning and purpose. And oh, by the way, when you're living the life that is the best you possible, you're bringing glory to God. And pointing others to Him. Just think about that. When you're living the life that is the best you possible, you will be blessing others 
glorifying God, pointing people to him. That's all. It's amazing what God is trying to do. It's amazing how much we complicate this. God's blessings are unique expressions of his grace. I'll give you a sort of what I think I hope will be a wrap-up picture of this. Solomon was going to be king after his father David. Easy gig, hard gig. Hard gig. Why? Because his dad was amazing. He's not just going to support and become the new mediocre. He's going to, to become the new amazing. And so everybody, when, his, when he comes to, to the throne, everybody's kind of looking at him and said, you know, your brother Absalom was better looking. And your father was a better fighter. What do you bring into the table? You're not even the oldest brother. Why you, Solomon? Solomon, recognizing as Joshua did when he was following Moses, this this was kind of be kind of a hard deal. When God said, "Hey, uh, what would you like for your for your kingdom? What would you like me to do? How would you like me to bless you?" Solomon wisely, amazing that his name has become synonymous with that. Solomon wisely said, uh, "You know what I would really like? I would like the wisdom to manage this job you have given me appropriately to be a blessing to your people." Right. And so God poured out wisdom on him that was so amazing that it's still recorded. Solomon's wisdom is still recorded. The stories about Solomon are still told. And he got a whole bunch of other blessings and some of them became curses and we won't get into that. This is not a sermon on Solomon. But I want to take you to one picture, one illustration that I hope picks this all together. Early in his reign, a story takes place. Two women come to him because he's the judge. They come to him and they say, we've been talking to other people and nobody will resolve this and you're kind of the, you're kind of the Supreme Court of highest appeal. We come, we've kind of gotten to you and they start telling the story. The first woman speaks and she says, um, I had a baby about a month ago. Three days later, my, my friend who is, lives with me, we live in the same house, also had a baby. So we had these two tiny babies that were about the same age growing up together. Now, frankly, two women who are pregnant living in houses by themselves are not the ideal in Israel. Something happened there that folks could have talked about. <clears throat> but what happened is after about a month, the one of the mother, the lady saying says, the, my, the other lady, my roommate there, rolled over on her baby in the night and the baby died. And she, waking up, noticing that her baby had died, got up, put her dead baby in bed with me and took my live baby with her. And so when I woke up in the morning to feed my baby, I picked up the baby and I looked at it and I realized it wasn't my child. Would you recognize your child from another child after a month? Would even the men recognize their child after another child after a month? Shake your head yes if that's true, guys. Yeah, of course. Even guys would recognize their own kid after a month. We kind of imprint a little, right? They, but you would recognize your kid after a month. She said, this is not my kid. So she goes to, the, to, the, to Solomon and she says, this is the deal. She, it's not my baby. It's, she claims it's hers. It's, it's not her baby. It's mine. And the dead one's not mine. It's hers. And the lady says, no, that's not the case. This is actually my baby. That was actually her baby that died. And do you remember the story? Do you remember the story? They argued. The Bible simply says, and they argued. In front of Solomon. Now imagine these two women and what kind of argument that was. Would you argue for your child? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. One of these ladies wants her child back. The other lady wants to win the argument and they argue. And the argument gets loud until Solomon stops it and he says, somebody bring me a sword. I bet that quieted the whole room. Bring me a sword. Bring me the child. 
Since we can't decide whose child it is, we'll cut it in half and both of you can have a piece. Mother number one, whose baby it actually is, says, no, don't do that, give it to her. Mother number two, whose baby it is not, says, that seems like a fair argument, fair way to do it to me. Because all she wants to do is win the argument. The other woman is willing to sacrifice for the child. She's willing to lose the argument to save the child. Here's how I want to sort of draw a wrapping around this. You see, the value of something is determined by the market. Your value was determined on the sacrifice God was willing to make for you. This child's value was was determined by the sacrifice, sacrifice its mother was willing to make for it. How much do you value your personal, unique picture of God? The one that only you can express. How much do you value that? Enough to make a sacrifice? Enough to be willing to surrender to the will of God in some area of your life that you're having trouble with? Because ultimately what God is trying to do is make you the best expression of Him you can possibly be. It's not about any kind of lesser life. It's about the best possible life to the glory of God for the sake of the kingdom. So I challenge you that thing that's yours. God showed me mine this morning and I'm not telling. thought I had this pretty well cleaned up and this morning it popped up. I realize it pops up all the time. I just hadn't considered it a problem. Sometimes that happens in your life, right? All of a sudden something that you thought was just fine, you realize that was a problem. At that moment we have only two choices argue with God or surrender the problem. The conquering of the problem is decided on your why at that moment. If I want my problem to go away so that I can look better, I'm going to still have the problem. If I want my problem to go away so that God can look better, there's power in that. So I challenge you to let God clean the picture, trim the vine, make you the best possible expression of himself in the, in the sphere of influence that you have as long as you still take breath. Let's pray. Father God, as disciples of Jesus, as followers of the Most High God, We choose to represent you. We choose to.
to let you clean off the smudges? Trim off the unfruitfulness? And help us to glorify you and not ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Vapor 